biology. 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 Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of the HSC Biology Podcast. Today we are looking at a new inquiry question and we're skipping over a dot point analyze responses to the presence of pathogens by assessing the physical and chemical changes that occur in the host animal cells and tissues. We're skipping it because it will be more relevant when we have finished the lines of defense. All right, let's take a look at the inquiry question now, which is how does the human immune system respond to exposure to a pathogen? And the dot point we're looking at today is investigate and model the innate and adaptive immune systems in the body. So with this dot point, we'll probably split it up into a couple of podcasts because the adaptive immune system is quite complex. So today's podcast is mainly going to be about the innate immune system. So let's start at some simple definitions. So what is the innate immune system? And innate really just means non-specific or something that is already there. And the non-specific responses we have just mean that we're not attacking a pathogen with any particular specificity. We're not targeting anything. We're just killing or stopping anything from getting in. And so the innate and adaptive immune systems can be set up in three main lines. The first, the second, and the third. So with the first line of defense, these are made up of our barriers mainly. Now this isn't a response, so you have to be careful with how they ask questions around this, but these are barriers to entry. And the most obvious one when looking at barriers to entry is our skin. So our skin is really uh, our first line of defense in stopping pathogens from getting in, but we have a a host of other uh, defense mechanisms to stop things from getting in. So apart from our skin, we obviously have uh, many ways for pathogens to get in, including our mouth and eyes and nose. Um, But if something is to get into our body, most of our uh, internal tracts are filled with mucus. And mucus is a good way to trap pathogens and stop them from functioning. So we do have the mucus and mucus membranes that minimize the ability of a pathogen to get in and pass that epithelial layer or the top layer inside our body. Now in combination with this mucus, we also have cilia. And cilia are found in our lungs and in our respiratory tract and also in our middle ear. And they have the ability to move that mucus or or, uh, sort of flick it upwards and out of the the areas where we don't want it. So our lungs and and our body. And so when that happens, it does uh, sometimes get that you get that sort of gross feeling in your throat, and that's actually probably a function of those cilia moving the mucus up and out of the lungs and potentially for you to get rid of it, spit it out, or uh, swallow it into the acidic conditions of the stomach. Um, So those cilia are very useful in moving those pathogens out of your lungs. Now, as well as that, in our body, considered a physical barrier, we have microflora. So our body is covered in... Uh, microorganisms, usually bacteria or fungi, and they have the ability to basically fill up the space uh, on our epithelial cells. So the uh, small intestines and the mouth and the other orifices are usually already, um, they already have a microbiome in those areas. And this makes it very difficult for a new microorganism to settle in that space. 
so the, the microflora or the existing microbiome we have in our body makes it very difficult for a pathogen to uh, you know, assert its dominance and, and become populous in that area. Now beyond that, we can go into some chemical barriers. So a couple chemical barriers, as I mentioned before, the stomach acid is a really good and simple one to use. It has an extremely low pH, which destroys just about all pathogens. There are some exceptions, like Helicobacter pylori, that Barry Marshall figured out as being the cause of stomach ulcers. But for the most part, the stomach acid will destroy almost all pathogens. Now, continuing on through chemical barriers, we have urine and the urine we produce is usually highly acidic and that destroys pathogens, um, but it can be alkaline as well. Um, our body does have the ability to actually change that, which is pretty cool. Now, the sweat and sebum that we produced on the outside of our skin does have a slightly acidic pH, which is also not conducive to the survival of pathogens. So on top of that, there is uh, lysosomes which can be found in our sweat as well. And the saliva and tears we produce also contain lysosomes which act to break down those uh, pathogens and stop them from functioning. So that makes up the majority of the physical and chemical barriers we have in our body. So just to go over it one more time, the physical barriers include things like our skin, which is tough to penetrate. It also sheds uh, quite a bit, so the skin cells actually you know, fall off and take the pathogens with them. We have the mucus and mucus membranes. They trap pathogens in our trachea and our lungs. And we have the cilia, the tiny hairs that run the length of those those mucus membrane areas, so along our lungs and, and, and trachea. And the cilia beat or move that mucus up out of the areas where it might cause some issues, and we get rid of it. Um, on top of that, we have the microflora, which is the existing microbiome in our body to minimize the ability of a pathogen to find and settle in a certain place. And then the chemical barriers like stomach acid, urine, sweat and sebum, saliva and tears, all good examples. Now moving on to the second line of defense, which is uh, activated when the skin or the epithelial layer is breached. Uh, this is still non-specific, therefore part of our innate immunity, but this is a response. We do respond to a breach or something happening to our skin. Um, and the second line is also going to be the bridge to the third line of defense, but we'll get to that in a minute. Now, one key word or combination of words you need to know for this dot point is inflammation response. So when something gets through our first layer of skin, so a rusty nail, for instance, we have an inflammation response, and that really contains all of the things I'm going to talk about. But just be careful because that word has been used quite a few times, inflammation response, as part of the second line of defense. So I always ask my students, like, what happens when you get a cut or something, you know, penetrates the top layer of your skin? And, you know, the answers I get are, you know, it swells up, it gets hot, um, it's red, uh, might bleed, uh, and there's pain in the area. And they're all part of that inflammation response. So the redness is going to come about due to the increased blood flow to the area. Same as the swelling, those capillaries are going to open up and really allow, allow a lot of blood to get to the area. The heat in the area is going to increase to hopefully uh, hinder the ability of the pathogen to move into our body, so slow down some of its functions. And the pain is for us to recognize uh, where the, uh, where the site of entry might be, and then physically, you know, wash it out and things like that. 
So with the inflammation response, as I said before, our blood vessels do open up and this is the role of histamines. So again, when I explain histamines to my students, I usually talk about the fact that has anyone in the class taken an antihistamine and most students will say yes and you know it's when you have an allergic reaction to something and an allergic reaction at the most extreme case, the anaphylactic reaction, is basically all of your blood vessels just excreting all of the water at once, which is very dangerous. So the cells that produce histamines uh, basically all go into activation mode, which is not good. So you take an antihistamine and that stops those blood vessels from leaking that water into, your, uh, into the rest of your body, which you, you don't want. So we have mast cells and mast cells really control the function of those histamines. When they produce uh, the histamines, as I said before, the blood vessels uh, become more permeable and uh, to water and to uh, white blood cells, which are going to go to the area. So the blood vessels actually open up, so they get thicker, so they dilate or vasodilation, and that causes the added redness, but it also causes the increase of blood to the area, which means more white blood cells can get to the area. Now, when the white blood cells get to the area, they can leave our blood vessels and go directly to the area that has been broken. Um, now, the white blood cells that are first on the scene are going to be our phagocytes. And we have a couple different ones we can talk about. Neutrophils and macrophages are the most likely ones that are going to be there. Um, now, I have seen conflicting information on which one is first, uh, neutrophils or macrophages, but as far as I know, uh, we have more neutrophils in our blood kind of ready to go, and the macrophages are a bit more, um, they're more required to the area when things get a bit more out of control. So the phagocytes get to the area that has been penetrated, and they immediately start engulfing any foreign particles. And now we're going to talk a bit about what makes something foreign and what makes something not foreign or self, um, because that's really important to understand for the third line of defense. So this is where understanding what an antigen is. An antigen is something that our body recognizes as foreign. And so when anything penetrates our skin, it is probably going to have markers on the, on the, uh, on the things that come in that aren't the same as the markers we have. So all of our cells have markers on their surface that identify them as self in our body. But when something else enters, they don't have those markers, so we start to get rid of them. This is why it's an innate immune response. It's non-specific. We're just going to go and stop anything that's not us, which makes sense. So the phagocyte, how it functions when it gets to the area is it will engulf the pathogen. So it will basically swallow it up, and on the inside of those uh, phagocytes, we do have more lysosomes, and those lysosomes are basically like little enzyme-filled sacs that rip apart the pathogen. Now once we've done that, hopefully that's the end of the pathogen and we don't really need to see it again, but if it does get a bit worse, we may need to call on the third line of defense. Now, I'm going to do the third line of defense in the next episode, but I think it's important to mention some other important cells in the second line of defense. So, I mentioned mast cell before mast cells before and they have the role of releasing histamines again this is a non-specific response but it is still a response now we have a number of different phagocytes including neutrophils and macrophages as i said before but we also have a couple other cells that are important one of the most important cells in our body is called a natural killer cell now it's important that you know that this one is different to one we'll talk about later which is a cytotoxic t-cell this is a natural killer cell, or an NK cell. 
And this has the ability to basically scan our cells and recognize if something is wrong. And if our cells aren't saying that everything is A-OK -okay with our little marker molecules, then this cell will destroy whatever it is that is not representing our body. Um, so this is a good way to get rid of anything that might be hiding inside our cells. So when a virus or a bacteria gets inside our cells, they cause the issues with, with certain functions in our body. And this changes the marker molecules on our surface cells. And this means that the natural killer cell will detect it and then destroy it. So it doesn't really, you know, differentiate between if it's uh, good or bad. If you don't have those marker molecules, prepare to be destroyed. Um, so they're the main ones I talk about in the second line of defense. And one cell that I do miss on purpose is the dendritic cell. But really, this is going to be one of the main... Uh, cells involved in the bridge between the second and third line and the dendritic cell has the job of presenting these antigens to the third line of defense um, and so we will go through uh, antigens and antibodies in the next episode but for the most part that is the second line of defense so remember the keyword inflammation response we have redness swelling heat and pain you have the uh, phagocytes which move into the area you have mast cells releasing histamines um, and you have the engulfing process and destroying of the pathogens. There's also a couple other cells that you can remember, like the natural killer cell that scans our cells for anything that might not be right. Now beyond that, there are a few additional mechanisms of the second line of defense that we do that are non-specific. So one is fever, and this is something you probably have noticed when you get sick, you get a fever. And this is non-specific because, you know, it doesn't attack a, a single pathogen, but the increase in temperature, as I said before, slows or minimizes the ability of that pathogen to move forward because it also has enzymes and certain functions that have optimal temperature ranges. So a fever or a fluctuating temperature range makes it difficult for anything in our body to move around. But obviously, when that happens, we also find it difficult. On top of that, we have things called the complementary system, which is basically a bunch of proteins working together to help mark and destroy pathogens. And one other cool one we do is sometimes our cells will basically form something called a granuloma, which is where if they detect that a single cell has an infection, they might all die around it, creating a, a, an area where that cell can't, you know, explode out with viruses on, and things like that. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And as always, make sure you check out stemreactor.com.au if you want to get any biotechnology in at your school. That's stemreactor.com.au. Bye.